Here we go, November 21st, 2010, lecture discussion number 24 on the book of Romans. So, lecture discussion number 24 on the book of Romans. And here is where I'm going to stop, and I'm going to say, hi, Marguerite. Marguerite, 76, Bothell, Washington, Terry's mom, we got your nice note. These are people on the Internet, and the same for uh, Genty in Albania. We got your kind comment, and... Um, we're in Alaska, and you guys, I think, will send at least, uh, Genty is listening to us on sermonaudio.com, and that, by the way, is where the older sermons are. The newer stuff, or the more recent stuff, is on Podbean and iTunes. And so, again, um, uh, I know a lot of you are out there, a lot more than are here today for us. You outnumber us. We're not going to let you ever vote, uh, but because uh, if you did you would make us move. And that might be a good thing. Nonetheless, that's what we're having to deal with. And again, we're glad that you're here. Okay, we're in, we are actually, really, really, actually back to Romans today. And yes, it is true. We are at Romans chapter 3. I know it's unbelievable. It's stunning. And I will interpret your fainting as sarcasm. But nonetheless... As incredible as it may seem, today begins, begins, uh, Romans 3, begins. You're not, by the way, just as you cannot get through uh, Romans 1.17 without going back to Habakkuk or Habakkuk uh, 2.4, you cannot understand Romans 3 without an in-depth study on the person of David, specifically what he wrote. That is, again, another reason why the Gibeonite saga is so important. Paul understood the importance of David to Romans. David uh, is quoted. There's 60 Old Testament passages quoted. David starts uh, Romans 3 for us, and it's specifically the Psalms. Um, so expect a Psalm study to get through chapter 3, which we will do. And you should come to expect all that kind of stuff, right? Romans 3 is a very complex argument uh, for salvation by grace alone through belief in Jesus Christ alone. I should say belief faith. So let me re-say it. Romans 3 is an argument for, Paul is presenting the proof of the truth of salvation by grace alone through belief dash faith in Jesus Christ alone. The just, the justified, those that God declares to be justified because that's how you are justified. God says you are. They live eternally because they believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 3 is. Or, if you will, the just shall live by faith, which is the thesis statement of the book of Romans, as you know. It's a complex concept. I, I get that. It's God's way of doing things. It is not man's way. God's way and man's way are, are polar opposites. It is, it is made more so complex, the just shall live by faith or grace, salvation by grace alone through belief, faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is made more so complex by the fact that mankind rejects it. Mankind loathes the truth of Romans 1.17, Habakkuk 2.4. Mankind holds it in contempt. And Paul is really very well aware of that, as you would expect. 
Why would you expect Paul to be very well aware of how much mankind hates the just shall live by faith? Because Paul went around killing people who believed that. And so he really gets it. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the book of Romans specifically because he was previously the Saul, the Pharisee, the one who sought to consume. Listen to how I'm going to say it so that you can remember it, I hope, from the previous weeks. Saul, the Pharisee, is the one who sought to consume, uh, who plotted against, who sought to exterminate the destruction of those who knew and believed the truth of salvation by grace alone. Saul was a murderer of these what does that remind you of? That should remind you of where we just left. Second Samuel 21, right? Where the other Saul, or another Saul, or the first Saul, if you will, murdered the devoted ones of God, the Gibeonites, in his zeal for the children of Israel. And I said it as much as I could. Notice that it's not... He's not killing them because of his zeal for the ways of God. He's doing it because of the zeal of the nation of Israel. So now you know the zeal of the nation of Israel and God are on polar opposites, which we should expect. But now you know that the children of Israel at the time of King Saul, the children of Israel at the time of Saul the Pharisee, both had the same idea. They both hated Anyone sought to exterminate anyone in their midst who believed salvation by grace alone in the blood um, of Jesus Christ alone. So I submit the similarity between the two Saul's as we began with the study uh, is purposed, as you would expect. Huh? No coincidences in the Bible. Saul and Saul did the same things for the same reasons, and that's what we have, Right? Hope you know that. Hope you get that. That's very important. In any event, that was one of my points for diverting into the Gibeonite saga. I wanted to just demonstrate the hostility to the sign that is circumcision. And the hostility comes from a works-based, human effort-based religion or religions. You see... Mankind wants to do something. It really makes him angry that he can't do it. What is it that mankind wants to do? And he hates people that tells him that he can't do it and he kills them. That's what man does. What is it that he hates? He hates people saying to him that he cannot save himself. Hates it. You want to get yourself killed, run around telling people you can't save yourself. You want to be hated... Run around tell people, you can't save yourself. Mankind wishes to do that. He wishes, to, he desires to be the determining factor in his own salvation. Run around and tell people, you want to be the most hated person in Anchorage? Start walking around churches and tell them that mankind has, is not the determining factor in his own salvation. Because humanity insists that they can resurrect themselves somehow. Absurd as that is on its face. Notice that I brought in resurrection. Because mankind wishes to defeat death by any means possible. Jesus Christ alone, alone resurrects himself, John 2.19. When I say alone, I mean 
Jesus Christ in the Godhead, he is the second person of the triune Godhead, resurrects himself. Also, the Father resurrects him. Also, the Holy Spirit resurrects him. I would expect that because they are God. Three persons, one God. But he says so. He said, if you, if I, when I die, I will resurrect myself. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it back up again. I have that power. That, by the way, God, Christ resurrecting himself is a great proof of what? He's God. Only God resurrects. And it's a foundation stone. We are not saved unless Christ resurrects himself. Now, do you understand that? The Bible says that over and over again. If there, if Christ did not resurrect, then we are not saved. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot resurrect ourselves ever. And this is a fact about to be confronted by Paul, the Holy Spirit, through Paul. Here. Okay. Before we read Romans 3, a couple of things to clean up about 2 Samuel 21, because Amanda made me. Hopefully, I was able to convey the key, or what I consider to be the key element. Hopefully, I got it through, and I realize that um, there's not very many of you here today. But I hope I got it through to at least uh, at least uh, this number. And that being that 2 Samuel 21 is what I call a timeline prophecy. What's a timeline prophecy? What I mean by that is that 2 Samuel 21 reveals the nation of Israel over time. What's going to happen to them as time continues? It tells what they, were, what they will do, what the consequences of what they will do will be, and then what will happen. And it doesn't tell you how big a period of time it is. It's just that there's time injected into it. It happened really fast in 2 Samuel 21, but, it by, but is, with respect to Israel, it's over thousands of years. And see, 2 Samuel 21 reveals that the nation of Israel will reject the sign of circumcision. They will be hostile to it, and they will seek to kill those who understand it or who have a belief in the true meaning of it, they will reject what circumcision symbolizes and they will therefore reject the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. That is what Second Samuel 21 says. And if you say that in my belief or my position, I'm submitting that. And of course, I'm what? That's right. Right. And therefore, everyone who disagrees with me is what? I mean, it's the math. Okay. Thank you for agreeing with me. Anyway, Israel will reject the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, what it symbolizes. And that is an astonishing thing to say, by the way. I'll get really bad emails for that. But worse, they will attempt to eliminate the doctrine of salvation by grace from their midst. They will have it inside their nation, but they will attempt to drive it out and extinguish it. And that will because because of their zeal for a Phariseeism, if you will, for legalism. By the way, before we condemn Israel, does the church love legalism? Yes, it does. Does the church try to drive out any small speck of salvation by grace alone? Yes, it does. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? 
I, when I was in Hawaii, I worked, I uh, volunteered at a, um, and uh, Jonas will appreciate this, I volunteered and I uh, working for a place that dealt with special needs children back in those days. Uh, they were called retarded. Um, that was when Bill and I were teaching. That's what they were called. But anyway, there was a young man, he's got to be 50 now, my goodness, wow, okay, 47, 48, his name was Daniel. And I, my job was to hook up, don't ask me why I remember this, but I do, my job was to hook up this device to allow him to eliminate. Do I need to be more specific? Thank you. Anyway, I didn't get it hooked up right. And Daniel proceeded to spray all over me and himself. At which point he asked me a very profound question. He said, why you do that? And I've never forgotten that question because I didn't have an answer for it other than I am unprepared and ignorant for this assignment. But working with Daniel prepared me for the Basketball coaching and teaching teenagers is a general rule. Anyway, I was going to say pastoring a church, but I didn't. Yeah, let's keep going. Why do they do that? Why do they drive out and love legalism and hate grace? Why? For the money. All about the money, all about the Benjamins. That's why they do it. They raise vast amounts of money who are from people who are ignorant and scared to death, and they want to keep purchasing their salvation. They want to be involved on a day-to-day basis with their salvation. They are scared to death and made scared, and then they are also controlled. And if I can control you, then I have a pretty good life pastor here in this town, just recently retired. I don't want to name his name. I hope nobody can figure out who he is. But he drove out of here with a big boat and a nice car and a big truck, lots of money. Good luck with that, baby. Just one of these days, the bell's going to ring. If you're in this profession for the money, for the power, for the house, for the benefits, for the retirement, good luck with that. You can accuse me a lot of things, and people love to do that, but you cannot accuse me of one thing, and that is being a good embezzler. That certainly isn't happening here. If you need proof of that, come with me tomorrow morning and see what I'm going to do. Bill and I are going to go out, and we're going to stain doors. On Friday, we framed in garage openings at, what was it, three degrees? Oh, golly. Anyway. Israel, in their zeal for Phariseeism, for legalism, is predicted that they will hate the Messiah's ship of Christ. They will hate the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And as a result of that, a famine, a drought is going to come to the nation. Has it come? It did. It came. The nation will be unblessed. The land will be cursed. Then a perfect son will come. Seven sons, seven that were hanged becomes a perfect son. Seven sons, a perfect son will be hanged from a tree. 
And now a great parenthesis. By the way, who saw in the Old Testament what prophets saw the great parentheses or the time between the crucifixion of Christ or the ascension of Christ, if you will, and the tribulation? Who saw it? Daniel saw a little bit of it, but he didn't know for sure. But the only one that really got the great parentheses that was revealed to him is the Apostle Paul. He saw the church age. It was given to him. And he, and he says to you in Scripture, I am so honored to have this. Finally, after the great parentheses, the bones will be gra- gathered. And, and after that, it says, of course, you remember from last week, after all of that, Israel will be restored as a nation of priests. The land will be blessed. And the millennial rule of Christ will begin. He will have gone through the prophet stage of his redemptive work. He will have gone through the high priest stage of his redemptive work. And now the kingship phase of his redemptive work, the millennial rule, will begin. And hopefully I got that through. Hopefully all of that came through for you. And if not, just remember the math, the math equation to be more precise. Whenever you are wondering about the second coming of Christ, you just have to remember the math question or the math equation. Let me read it to you, Second Peter 3.3. 3. So this is really clear. You can't get more clear than this, okay? Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, because Peter is talking about what? Everyone says, when is Christ coming back? So if you're going to wonder, if you ever have a question, when is Christ coming back? Somebody asks you, oh, you dumb Christian, when's Christ ever coming back? Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We call that uniformitarianism. Okay? That's an evolutionary concept. It's being taught in every school in the country. For this they willfully willfully forget. They know it's true, but they willfully forget it. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. They, They willfully forget that. They willfully deny it. That happens today, right? But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. I crossed out beloved in my Bible and wrote Steve. But, Steve, do not forget this one thing. And then I wrote dummy. That the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So do not forget this one thing, dummy. One thing, no one thing, know your math. One day equals a thousand years. A thousand years equals one day. That solves Rizpah. That solves Jephthah's daughter. And on you, on you are to prophecy timelines. And you've got it. You can write your book. Okay, cool.
Got it. One day equals a thousand years. Obvious question, what does that mean? Okay, Romans 3. Actually, we've got to back up to Romans 2.25, so let's do that. Two twenty-five through 29. This is kind of your a little pop quiz here. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision, that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay? If you understand that, yay for you. You're ready to go to chapter 3. If not... Back you go, shoots and ladders, right? Got to roll again. Obviously, from reading that, there are two types of circumcision. I hope you get that. One that counts for nothing. One that counts for everything. Two types. The Jew then, and most, most Jews today... They trust in the Torah, what they call the oracles of God. Paul uses that here in another couple of verses, the oracles of God. And they trust in their physical circumcision as to the sign of their special covenant relationship with God. What do they think they will have because of that? They will have salvation. It's called dual covenantism, by the way, when the Christian church says there's no reason to testify or to evangelize or to witness to Jews because they have a special covenant relationship that allows them to be saved. It's almost like all dogs go to heaven. But it isn't true for the Jew. It isn't true for anyone. The Jews, though then and today, trust that it is true. But Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, says without equivocation, no stuttering here, that physical circumcision is of no value without the spiritual understanding and the belief in its meaning. The physical circumcision is a lot like, if you will, if you want to make this, um, make this analogy, it's not totally correct, but it's a lot like communion or baptism. I take communion knowing that what it symbolizes is that I'm going to get new flesh and new blood. And that that's Christ's blood and his flesh and it gives me life. And I'm doing it as a symbol that I believe that that's who he is and what he will do. I'm baptized because I believe that I want to be a witness that I have I have this belief that I will be resurrected and that the flesh will die and the spirit will live. And I'll have a new flesh and a new resurrection. 
buried or died with Christ, if you will. But the baptism does not save me, nor does the communion save me, and especially wouldn't save me and wouldn't help me at all if I didn't believe anything about it. Physical circumcision is of no value, Paul's saying, without the spiritual understanding and the belief in its meaning. In other words, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision, has great spiritual doctrinal symbolism. Do you believe what it symbolizes? Do you believe what circumcision represents? Why would someone become physically circumcised and reject the meaning of circumcision. That's ultimately what Paul is going to ask here. Why would anybody say, I am circumcised, but by the way, I don't believe a thing about it, and it's going to save me? How could they not believe and not care about it and then have expectations that it will save them? That's astonishing. That's what's going on. That's what 25 through 29 is saying. You cannot hate what God says circumcision means and then declare yourself to be saved by your circumcision. The uncircumcised Gentile who believes that he is a guilty sinner before God, deserving of the second death, Revelation 21.8, deserving of condemnation, but instead is given grace and mercy and the gift of eternal life, because he believes on the name, the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, that Gentile, Paul says, is the real, the true circumcised, even though he's not physically circumcised. He's the inwardly circumcised. He is the real, true spiritual descendant of Abraham. He's the what? He's the Gibeonite. The other, the Jew, is an unbeliever even though he's physically circumcised. And he will be judged by those who believe, and he will be lost. Judged in the sense that a Gentile without the law, without circumcision, believes it. Believes what it means. And the Jew who has the oracles of God does not believe. The Jew that has the word of God does not believe. See, there's the question right off the bat. How can a Jew not believe? That should have been impossible. It should have been impossible for the Jews not to believe. What can account for the fact that I have so many Jews who will perish? And will I get email on that if they ever start sending it to me? What can account for that? Because Paul's saying, bummer for you, baby. What's that? It's a mystery. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is, it is a mystery. It is the collision between the omniscience of God and the fact that he gave us free will. How is it that the nation of Israel could reject God when he comes in the flesh? Miracle after miracle after miracle, and they still rejected him. They have the oracles of God, the very word. The oracles came in the flesh... The oracles of God made flesh, the Word made flesh in their midst, and they reject Him, they hate Him, they despise Him. How could that, how could they possibly produce such blindness? That's Matthew 12, by the way. Okay? Got that? Now we can go to Romans 3. So read 25 through 29 again and see if you can 
you can do it while I'll go on with the sermon. And see if you can now understand it. I know it's written in a very difficult manner. And I read it in kind of a way to make it seem difficult. Did you notice? I like doing that. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Got it? I did that on purpose. I think it's cool. Was that a firearm, John? Okay. My favorite story in the church, I was reminded of it by someone who came on Friday of, of last week who said, uh, do you still have John's uh, uh, revolver still fall out of his? And I said, I wasn't sure that was John. It wasn't you, was it? I said, well, I don't think it was John because John doesn't usually carry a revolver. Not enough firepower for John. <laughs> <laughs> but when we are the church where people's handguns fall out onto the concrete surface, it, is, it has happened a couple of times. And those of you who are on the Internet, welcome to Alaska. Okay, we are a little different here. There's no doubt about it. Okay, on to Romans 3, 1 through 8. What advantage then, because this is the obvious question, he, Paul would do this. He, he, I want you to notice that Paul follows his contrast between the circumcision, with the circumcisions with the obvious question. And here's the obvious question. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? And he answers it this way, much in every way. There's great advantage, there's great profit. Chiefly or firstly, because to them were committed the oracles of God. There it is. The Jews got the word. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? By the way, we are entering into what is called, is God the author of sin? Because that's what's going to happen here. Paul's going to take on, and I get it all the time, people come to me all the time and they say, isn't it true that because we sin, God therefore is revealed as holy and just and glorified? And therefore our sin reveals God as holy and God benefits from our sin. Therefore God must be what? The author of sin, and therefore he can't be the judge of it. Have a nice day. I get that at least once a month. They don't come here very often anymore. Because it is really simple to tee that up and blast it. But they go to the next place and try it there. This is where it comes from. It was happening there then, and it is happening now. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man is a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, you see it coming now? What shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. 
For then how will God judge the world? Because the Jews would say, listen, we're glorifying God. He dispersed us, and because He dispersed us, you have salvation. Because we hated and rejected Christ, you have salvation. Therefore, God owes us. He can't judge us. We're His instruments. Can He judge them? If He can't judge them, Paul says, He cannot judge the world. And we know the judgment of the world is an inviolable fact. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, because they say this, you grace people, you cheap grace people, we're the hard to believe people, versus you cheap grace people. Do you really think that blood is cheap? That grace is cheap? You're going to hear it all the time. What did it cost to give grace? How easy, they call it easy believism. That's the other one I get all the time. Easy believism. They'll say to me. Did it on Friday. Get it all the time. You easy believest. I ask the obvious question. Are you saying that it is easy for someone to believe Wicked, black-hearted, evil, degenerated, corrupted human being believes, and that takes hardly any effort from God. Easy is there such a thing as easy believism or cheap grace? That's an ignorant line of thinking. Don't allow it into your vocabulary. Anyway, and why not say, "Let us do evil that good may come." That's the argument. That doesn't mean I'm saved, let's run out and sin so much. What he's saying is, is that evil is of God and it reveals him as good. So let's reveal God is good by doing evil. And there is no judgment. What do we know about this line of thinking? It is one of the lies of Satan. It is the preeminent lie of Satan. It is that God is the author of sin for his own benefit and It is wickedness. It's Matthew 4, right? As we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation condemnation is just. Okay. He starts out with this, essentially this, the obvious question. What good is it to be a Jew if it doesn't ensure your salvation, if a Gentile can seemingly circumvent the entire Jewish culture, the Jewish ordinances which, by the way, were given to the Jews by God, if a Gentile who has none of that can cut cut line, can get to the front, what good is it to be a Jew? Why go through this Jewish thing? That's why I love that bumper sticker. If we are the chosen, please choose somebody else. Because it ain't easy being them. And I get that. What advantage, then, has the Jew? Why bother to be physically circumcised Uh, Be a physically circumcised Jew. Why bother to be an Orthodox Jew? Why bother to be a Jew at all? What is the purpose of the law ultimately? What's the point of it? What advantage do I get? And hopefully you've noted the contemporary equivalent. Do you think of it? Because the same question is asked today in the church. 
it goes something like this. If salvation is by grace alone, through faith, belief in Jesus Christ alone, why should I bother to go to church? Why should I bother to study the Bible? Why should I bother, 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 bother to pray? Why should I care about leading a godly life of obedience? Well, I got a good friend. Some of you know him. Haven't seen him lately, so don't think it's anybody sitting next to you. But be suspicious of the person sitting next to you. Always be that way. I, but I have a friend who always, every time I see him, tells me um, that his goal is to be the last one to get into heaven. The very last one. That's his plan. Do the very bare minimum. Eke out just enough to scrape by. And he states that purpose to, uh, whenever I bring it up. And I always bring it up to see if he's ever changed. And it's pretty common, actually. It, it, many, 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 many people see obedience to God uh, as um, it's in conflict with fun, excitement, good times, and success. That's how they see it. Especially the young. What I like about life is that, uh, fortunately, life, as you go through it, has a way of beating such woefully ignorant foolishness out of you. It will crush your silliness so fast, it'll be great to watch you. What you may see as fun, excitement, Good times and success today, you're going to discover, is simply slavery really, really soon. And Dems your two choices. Slavery to sin, slavery to selfishness, slavery to the world, slavery to wickedness, slavery ultimately to Satan, or obedience to God. There's your choices. And obedience to God is the true joy, the true peace, the true happiness, the true success. And now you know the Gibeonites, when it says they chose to be slaves to God, what they rejected. They figured it out. Great for them. That's why they're the devoted ones and they're honored in Scripture. Because it's hard to get the foolish to grasp that. That your choice is, did I skip a page? Nope. Hard to get the the foolish to grasp that your choice is really slavery and destruction or obedience and joy. And all you can do sometimes is watch the crash and then you go over with your, your industrial glue and you try to put Humpty back together again and chances are you ain't gonna. Anyway, also within this powerful question is the denarius parable. I don't have time to read it. But we'll read it next week because Romans 3.1, I can put this on the board so at least we get this much done today. Matthew 20. Romans 3. There's your, there's your bookends, or there's your pair, if you will. We're going to have to read it next week, but I'll remind you of it. Romans, or Matthew 21 through 16 is where the field is being worked 
And everybody's working in the field and people come at different points. Some people start early and they work in the field all day. Other people come and they work kind of a half a day. Some people come and they work a third of a day. Some people come at the very end and don't do any work at all. We call them teenagers. They come just for the buffet. They don't put up with the sermon. Some of you sat through the whole sermon and you stayed awake. Some of you got about a quarter of the way in. Down you went, boom, big puddle of drool. I get that. The ones who go through the whole sermon, they should get most of the food, right? That would be fair. Well, this is what Matthew 20, and being silly, is talking about. Some worked in the field all day. Some barely worked. Some didn't work at all but got to the field. And at the end, they were all paid a denarius. And the ones who worked in the field all day said something incredibly stupid. Hey, we thought we were going to get more. We deserve more. I worked in the field all day, and I got the same pay as that guy. He hardly he didn't show up to the very end. He just barely punched his time card, and he got the same thing I got. That's not fair. Romans 3 equals Matthew 20. Why be a Jew? Why work in the field all day? Same question. What's the advantages of being an obedient believer who works in the field all day? Why be circumcised? Why not be the last guy in the door? Good luck with that, by the way. I think it's going to be a rush. It's going to be like Walmart on Black Friday. Hope it works out for you. But I want you to see how they fit, how they're almost the same question, and how both questions are completely and totally and absolutely perfectly wrong. Please don't ask those kinds of questions. Please don't say that you should receive more because you work longer in the field. My goodness. Please don't say that possession, knowledge of the truth of God, going to church and learning about the truths of God, why should you bother? What difference does it make? I'm already saved. I've had a pastor's wife tell me that. Please don't say that. No advantage to possessing the truths of God. No advantage. There's no reason to do it. All I'm worried about is being saved. I've had people tell me that. That's good. I'm glad. Good. Please don't say that obedience to God is bad and slavery to evil is good. You need to beware. That's a classic Isaiah 5.20, calling good evil and evil good. You in big wampum trouble. You're not in quicksand. You're being sucked into septic tanks there. You're an absolute mess. When you say things like that, tell yourself, I am firmly in the stupid column. I am re- I'm I'm just completely buried in stupid and I'm sorry about that to tell you that Not really I really that's another fake sorry Know instead the infinite value of Christ's blood the denarius 
you got infinite blood. That's pretty cool. How many hours you work for that? Here, if it's infinite and you worked a full eight-hour day in the field for your blood, how far away are you from infinity? Can I tell mathematically the difference between your amount of time that you spent working in the field, mostly screwing it up? Okay, sorry about that. Not really, not really. Another fake sorry. I'm sure to get an email. But know the infinite value of Christ's blood, which is the denarius, and know the mathematical relationship between finite and infinite. What is the mathematical difference between his two minutes in the field and your eight hours? What's the mathematical difference? Nothing. Do you really think you deserve more than what you got? You get more. I should have got more blood than him. What did you just say? That the blood you got wasn't what? Wasn't good enough. Wasn't enough. You needed more blood. What did you just say about the blood? You ignorant. Know instead the pure goodness of God versus the pure wickedness of the world. Know the truth that is Christ, the complete lie that is Egypt. No Romans 3, 9 through 18. I'm going to read a little bit of it. It is written. This is, this is Psalms, by the way. This is why we have to investigate David. Romans 3 is a Psalm study. Here it goes. This is what you got to know. This is what you have to put in your head. Write it down. Repeat it to yourself. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is on their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There you go, boys and girls. We've got to figure out why David wrote that and what he means. Let's rise and be dismissed.